are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. You know, there was this one time I, uh, I saw this YouTube clip, and it was amazing. I thought it was like the most craziest revival or something because people were crying. And I've been to plenty of revivals myself, and I've, I've cried like a, like a little baby. And, and my hands are just waved out like this. I'm like, yes, Lord. I'm just crying. People are actually like fainting too. I'm like, okay, that's touch of the Holy Spirit, right? So people are falling to the side and just going crazy. Some people are just going just really crazy. I'm like, okay, is this a revival? What's going on? So I'm watching this YouTube clip, and then, you know, next thing you, next thing you know is there's Michael Jackson on stage. And he, there, he's doing his dance. I'm not going to do it, right? And he's doing his dance, and people are just going ballistic. They're going, this is, this is God on earth. This is Michael Jackson. They're going crazy. They're worshiping this guy. I mean, this guy, he's, he's legit, right, Michael Jackson. He's, he's awesome. But people are worshiping him. And it's funny because it was, it was the, uh, the, I think there was like on that channel kind of other worship scene, and you see like another church out in the Midwest. People are like, just worshiping that way. I can't think of anything in life that's more important than worship. Worship is the most important thing we can do as a church. And it's the most fundamental thing we can do in response to God. Turn to your neighbor and say this. Worship is so important. Warren Wearsby, sorry, pastor and writer, he says this. Worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, body, emotions, will, soul, to what God is, says, and does. It is a response. Because that's all we can do here in this life. God will forever always be God. Amen? And He will always forever be the giver of all things. All that we can do is respond and receive. That's our life calling, is to respond. And re what, what is responding? It's worship. We worship God. From this chapter, we've come to a great example of a great worship service. Now, there's a lot of interpretations of what worship is, and I'm not going to get into it. But here's the thing. The style and substance of worship, oftentimes, more than the theological views of the church, determines whether that, per whether that person or people will attend it. So they go to church, and maybe the doctrines are completely off. They're like, oh, man, that's some contemporary music. I like it. I love the sound of the electric guitar. I love the sound of this or that. I love the fact that, you know, whatever. And sometimes it leads people. This sermon, again, will cover the entire chapter. And uh, by the way, after six months of doing Nehemiah, next week will be our final sermon. I think... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I feel like I'm the only one getting excited about that. But it's like probably my shortest sermon series. Usually they're about five years long. Okay. <clears throat> Who said yeah? <laughs> but before we get to that point, I believe God wants us to understand some great truths about worship considering how important it is in our relationship with God. Okay? So from the beginning of the chapter, we have here a bunch of names. And I'll describe it in two words. Priests and Levites. You're welcome. Priests and Levites, these were the people who ministered in Jerusalem. Now, in today's time, speaking as an American, we have something called freedom of religion. Although, even, that, even though that right now is beginning to get attacked. 
but we have laws that protect the freedom of all people here to believe, act, and worship according to their own conscience because America believes in religious pluralism. But the thing about religious pluralism is that it also leads to this false idea, this false notion that because every religion has to be tolerated, that somehow then every religion is equal and therefore equally true. The thing about Scripture is that there isn't multiple or pluralistic ways to get to God. There aren't many roads to get to God. No, in fact, there's only one way to get to God, as we all know. Many of us should know. And because the Bible teaches that, the pluralistic culture of today, it condemns Christianity. It condemns Christianity as being narrow-minded or bigoted or intolerant or just simply irrelevant. But in our text, we read that there's only one valid approach to God so let's go on. Like I mentioned before, there are the priests and Levites, right? The priests, they ministered in the temple. They offered the sacrifices to God. The Levites, they assisted the priests. The priests, they mediated by means of the ceremonial law between a holy and perfect God and an unholy and sinful people. It was through their ministry that people were able to come to God. It was because of the priest's ministry that the Regular people, the Joe Schmoes, the average people like you and I would be able to approach a holy God. Now, how did one become a priest? It wasn't like after you graduated from Hebrew high school that you take some Myers-Briggs test to see whether, what career path to choose and become a priest. No. In order to become a priest, you had to have been a descendant of Aaron, who was the first high priest. Now, here's the question. Would you be able to get to God without a priest at that time? No. Without a priest, you would not be able to come to the temple to worship. That's why this list of priest names was so important. You see, the people, they just finished the wall. And they, they want to dedicate all that newly built wall to the Lord. They were ready to have awesome worship and to celebrate with the Lord. But worship could not take place without the proper priesthood leading them. So here's the thing. I realize, and I'm assuming there's about 70, 80 of you guys here. I realize that none of you guys have brought your own lamb or goat or doves or pigeons or whatever, whatever else that you want to sacrifice. Kitty, dogs, I don't care. Right? None of you guys have brought anything to sacrifice here. There is no altar here either. There is no knife that I'm aware of in this area to sacrifice the animal. There are no descendants of Aaron or Levi, maybe descendants of Genghis Khan. There are no priests, there are no Levites here, but wait. Didn't I just say in order to get to God, we need a priest? We need a priest to come and worship God? So how dare we, you and I, come before God without fulfilling God's requirement of his law? Well, friends and brothers and sisters, I got some great news. I have some good news. The gospel. All right. <laughs> the gospel. What is the gospel? The Bible teaches us that everything done... Get this, in the Old Testament was a precursor, a sign, a taste to the things that will happen in the New Testament times. Everything about the Old Testament sacrifice, the Old Testament law, the Old Testament rituals, the Old Testament roles, it pointed to the coming Messiah. You see, the New Testament teaches, teaches us that Jesus is not only a high priest, but is the only high priest. 
is the ultimate high priest, the perfect high priest. And it wasn't a lamb's blood that needed to be shed, but it was his own blood that he shed, that he died on the cross, which was the altar for the atonement of our sins. Jesus did this to bring us to the holy God. He is our priest. You get that? He's our priest. And here's the thing. He's not even done there. He's like, you want more? I will give you more. Because after three days, he, he was raised from the dead. He ascends into heaven right now. As we're hearing the word of God, as we're living our lives here right now, he is serving as our high priest. He is, our, he is acting as our high priest in the heavenly temple where the very presence of God is. He is right now mediating on our behalf. He is right now advocating on our behalf. He is right now saying, God, they're with us. They're with us. They're good. And it is for that reason and that reason alone that we can worship God today without conforming to the Old Testament standard of sacrifice, without conforming to the Old Testament standard of priests, Levites, and the law. Why? Because that entire system to get to God has been fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus, who is the ultimate Lamb of God, who has become our great high priest. Praise be to Jesus. There's only one way to approach God, and it's not through merits. Have you guys ever gone through elementary school? I'm assuming. Do you remember that, you remember that poster board that the, that the teachers always had? And it was marked with stars. And you see your name, and you don't see as many stars as you see on Jeffrey's. And the whole thing, it wasn't just about like completing your homework, it's about being good. And I would always see my name, and I had some. But there was, it was nothing as close to Jeffrey's or Mary's. I remember their names. Because that's how much I thought it was just unfair. Because I thought, what am I doing wrong? And I was a good kid. I never talked. Like even when the teacher asked me a question, I never talked. I was like... I was a good kid, and yet I thought, how come I can't get the 12 stars that I need in order to get that prize that I really want, that I don't even know what it is? Why can't I do that? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You don't? You're the ones that actually achieve all the stars? Whatever, right? It's not done through merits. It's not, through, it's not done through good works. It's not done through worldly success or fame. It's not done through Christian heritage. In fact, this... Uh, earlier today, I spoke, I spoke on, uh, to the youth about uh, what Jesus, he was, he, was, he, was, he was condemning the Jews because the Jews said, Jesus, we're fine. We don't need you because we're children of Abraham. And Jesus is like, wow, who cares? Who cares? That doesn't mean you're saved. You need the faith of Abraham. You're not automatically blessed and saved just because you're children of Abraham. He goes, in fact, Jesus condemns and says, you are Children of the devil. You're children of the devil. We are not saved. We don't get connected to God based on our Christian heritage. Just because mom and pa are Christians does not mean that you are a Christian. You get that? Just because you, ha you may have a third generation of, of, of pastors in your family does not mean that you are a Christian. It does not mean anything. So it doesn't have to do with our meritorious behavior. It has nothing to do with our good works, our worldly success or fame. It has nothing to do with the way culture or society says, wow, you're a great person. It has nothing to do with our Christian upbringing. Your approach to God has nothing to do with anything you could ever do. That's why, John that's why Jesus declares in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not you. 
Not, not this person, not that person, not that religion, not that cult, not this. No, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, many people, they really don't like this approach because they think it sounds too exclusive. They think it's bad news, but if you think about it, it's actually really good news. If you think about it, what if God says this? All right, David, you have to be like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham to get to me. I'm going to be like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I think I speak for all of us when we say that we're kind of, we're in a bad place then. Because if we compare ourselves to others, there will always be someone better. There will always be someone better. We will have no chance. But what God does is that he levels out the playing field. He says, you must now compare yourself to me. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor, pope, or just a person. No one is good enough before a holy and perfect God. It makes sense too, doesn't it? If we're trying to dwell with God and be with God and be with his holiness and his perfection, doesn't it make sense that we go by his standards, by his rules? If we're trying to be with him, we have to go by what Jesus, what God says, ought to play. Well, Jesus, he satisfies that because Jesus not only took away our sins by being the sacrifice, he also lived in accordance to God's perfect standards because Jesus is God. Only God could satisfy God. God isn't saying this to keep us away. Instead, he's saying that all our attempts to reach perfection, to reach his dwelling place, his residence, his presence is futile. God is saying, you can't do this, but fear not. I've sent my son who has lived a perfect life, a life, who has never, a life where he has never broken the law, and he died a death that will eternally satisfy my wrath towards the sinfulness of man. Jesus has paid the debt of our sin, and now he's calling us to turn away from all other imitations of hope and believe in what Jesus has done because there's only one way to approach God, Jesus. There's only one way to approach God. No one else, nothing else but Jesus. Now from verses 27 47, we read about the specific truths about worship. Our first point was this, that there's only one way to approach God. Turn to your neighbor and say that. There's only one way to approach God. Our second point concerning worship is that there's order in worship. Now I remember hearing a couple of people say this to me a long time ago. They said, David, worshiping in spirit and truth, it meant literally just opening your mouth and letting God fill it. And if you write out a sermon script, like I do actually every week, they said that means that you're quenching uh, the spirit's movement. I'm like, are you kidding me? If you write out word for word, which I do, they're saying that there's no room for the Holy Spirit to work. So does worshiping spirit and truth, like it says in John 4, 24, mean that worship is spontaneous, that it's unplanned, unrehearsed, unprepared worship? Is that what true worship is? Well, according to this chapter, there is order in worship. There is preparation needed for worship. There is much prayers prayed for worship. Here's a brief description of the worship service mentioned here, okay? The Levites were called from all surrounding areas and as well as other musicians. Then the priests and Levites began their purification rites and rituals. And when the dedication service came, there was an order. Here it is. When it began, first a group of leaders, group of uh, leaders of Judah, including Hoshesiah and the priest, they would go up to the right side of the wall. They would climb up there. And they would have, the priests would have their trumpets, and the other musicians would line up next to them. Then at the same time, on the left side of the wall, there was also a Thanksgiving choir. 
There was Nehemiah and his officials, and they would go up there along with the priests who would have their trumpets as well as singers. So now they have this huge wall with all these people, all these priests and Levites and so on lined up in musicians, and they would encircle the entire city. So the focal point was, being, was the center. Then everyone was in their place. So then at that moment, the choir would begin singing, and the people would clap their hands and rejoice, and they too would join in singing. Then the priests at that moment would begin to offer sacrifices to God in the temple, and the people would come down giving their offering and their tithes and their, fr- and their first fruits to God. You see, none of this sounds spontaneous. I'm not saying if one day you're hanging out with some people and you decide to whip out your guitar and sing some songs, that's not sanctioned by God. No, of course not. You can do that. But when it comes to the meeting of the corporate body, the church, there needs to be order. There has to be order. Every week, I meet with my staff. Let me tell you a little bit something about the inner workings of ministry here. Every week, I meet with my staff. Every Tuesday, every Thursday, and if need be, every Friday for last-minute changes. We then meet every Sunday morning to pray for the services and all the people. And at first glance, right, my, right now, you're sitting here, and you're thinking, well, there isn't a whole lot to our Sunday service and weekly programs, but I assure you, it takes a great deal of preparation, hard work, and prayer. One pastor put it this way. He says, every week I feel like I'm planning a parade. If I don't plan who's next, where to meet, and where to end, it's just chaos. Not only are the EM staff and the KM staff hard at work, but all our volunteers are hard at work too. And I'm proud to say that I have here youth teachers and children's ministry teachers who meet every week Saturday morning, many of whom come early for the morning prayer service at 6 a.m. Then at 7.30 a.m., they go over the Sunday Bible study material. We discuss, we study, we ask questions, and we pray. Then those who are on the praise team, they will have practice here from 9.30 until 10.30 or past that. Then the media team, the ones who are in the back, the unseen as I like to call them. They're in the back. By the way, look over there. They're back there. Do you see them? No one really notices. Chihon is kind of like doing this. But they're the unseen people. And they're diligently and faithfully making sure that no technical glitches happen. Then we have Esther O, who prepares the bulletins every week by pushing it through her program and sending it back to us for a final look. We have our sister Joanna, who's worshiping with one hand up and the other hand on the arrow keys. Doing the PowerPoint. She's making sure she's on cue with the transitions of the Sunday songs. And should Pocky repeat, well, she's ready for that too. And we have our action team people who meet every month, making sure all the other aspects of worship, the outreaches, the welcome team, the events and programs are all underway and all have the necessary volunteers and resources. The life group leaders get the life group discussion to prepare for the life group meetings. After a long week, just like everyone else, they take time to step back, to study, and to prepare for their material, with the material for the discussion for the group's spiritual betterment. We have also our brother Min here who on top of teaching his youth Bible study, coordinates every week with people who are taking care of the fellowship food and the cleanup duty. And we have our sister Yu Gyeong. Is she back? Is she here? She just got married. That's not the announcement. (laughs) Who recently got married, and every month she would take a group out to D.C. to evangelize and feed the homeless. The APPA group would meet on Saturday to plan, prepare, and pray for their encounter. While many of us here are strolling at 2, 2.30 p.m. for the service, we have many people like our sister Becky who will arrive early, early on Sunday morning to practice the praise songs and the worship moves with the children's worship team. During worship, while everyone is getting comfortable, 
Kathy is there in the back. She's counting the attendance. She's stalking you guys with numbers. And she's jotting down who's not here. Where then she then emails me and the staff promptly by Tuesday so that we can contact the missing members and more importantly, pray for them. Then after worship, we have our offering counters who will go downstairs as all of us are kind of frolicking around, talking around, hanging out or leaving or ditching or going to the fellowship and getting some food. And these counters will go downstairs and dutifully count the offering every single week and hand it off nicely packaged to our church finance department while the rest of us just enjoy the rest of our fellowship time. And forgive me if I didn't recognize your position or, if your na- or your name, but you see, I'm saying this, worship requires planning. It requires effort. It requires order. And to say, and to, and to say that the Spirit just lead us, I think that's a false understanding of what the Spirit does. The Spirit of God leads, but He does so when we do our part in planning and preparing. That's why all throughout the letters of Apostle Paul in the New Testament, Paul, he's always encouraging the people of God. He's saying, trust in God's sovereignty, but make sure that you always exercise your human responsibility. Trust that God will do His part, but you got to do yours too, he says. There's a reason why we're always asking for volunteers. Because there's a need, yes, of course, but more importantly, we're all called to serve. Every single one of us. That's how the body of Christ functions when all the parts are moving. Has anyone ever woken up with a dead leg? It is one of the worst things possible. You just feel weird as you try to get off your bed and go to the bathroom. You're just dragging that leg. It's no different when there's someone in our ministry who's not doing their part. It hurts the body. You know, I was so encouraged by a brother this past week, and I'm sure he's going to get embarrassed. But he emailed me this past week, and he said this, Pastor David, I know I'm new. Essentially, this is what he said. He said, Pastor David, I know I'm new. I don't have a biblical background, but where can I serve? Boom. If I had a mic, I would have dropped it right there. I was like, yes. That's what I'm talking about. That's awesome. If you are interested in serving, email me or talk to your life group leader or get in the action team meeting every month. There's always a need. So the first point was that there's only one approach to God. Second point is that worship has order. And our last point is that all worship must conform to the word of God. All worship must conform to the word of God. Now, I remember when my wife was living down in Virginia Beach. And so for the first year of our marriage, we were a weekend couple. Right? I would drive down four hours every, every week, or she would drive up every week. It was, it was difficult. But whenever I stayed down there, the naval air base was really close by. So you'd see those crazy fighter maverick jets, whatever, and they would go like G-Unit Mach 12. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay? And they'd just go like cruising through the sky and doing like, you know, twists and turns. I'm sure that's the correct term too. Twists and turns, right? All throughout the sky. And, and it was just really impressive. Now, if I were to, if I were to check out the Blue Angels, to, if, they, if they were to perform, I'm sure I would see some truly impressive stunts. But as impressive as they are, the creative skills are limited by the combination of basic physics of aerodynamics. Worship in many ways is like that. Because God has given us many basic elements like prayer, reading, preaching, declaring, meditating on scripture, singing songs of praise, the confessing of our sins, the confessing of faith, ordinances that are instituted by Jesus like baptism and the Lord's Supper. And you see 
all that worship, even from down to our quiet times in the morning with the Lord, all the way to our Sunday production, like church Sunday service, it's made up of all these biblical elements. Right? It's made up of all that. And we can't ignore that. Everything we do in life, from our personal walk with God to our corporate worship as the body of Christ, it must align itself with the written word of God. Amen? It has to follow it. And I end with this. To recognize the majesty and glory of God, if you want to recognize it, to truly recognize it means to truly worship him. But to worship him, you need someone who will mediate and make sacrifices to cover our sins before a holy God. You see, you just can't go to him. There's someone, and his name is Jesus. Jesus became our sacrifice for the sake of reconciling us to the Father. And if we want to know God, and if you want to enjoy God, we must first go through the way, his way, Jesus. Through Jesus, we have a privileged right just as my daughter has complete access. See, right now, my office is right in the corner right there. If any of you guys want to come, 99.9% of the time, you would all, Pastor David, are you available? If you were coming to my house and knock on my door, you would have to, Pastor David, Grace Hama, are you here? You know, recently my daughter, we've taken off the gate off her crib, so, so now she has complete access to the world around her. I don't know if that was the best choice. But either way, we leave the door open. And so, any given night, two, three times a night, sometimes four, sometimes, okay, she will do this. She'll wake up in the middle of the night, and she'll walk, and she'll see our door, and she'll just bust through. And I'm like, oh, who is it? And there she is, leaning against our mattress, just staring at us. Yeah, all, oh, but at the same time, like, oh. <laughs> why can she do that? And why am I not creeped out by it? But whereas if I were to see Joe do that to me, <laughs> I would say, why are you here? What do you want from me? Through Jesus, we have a privileged right, just as my daughter has complete access to me. Through Jesus, we can come directly to the Father. To the Father. There's nothing else that you need to do. You do not have to jump through hoops to get that hug from him. You do not have to earn your way to get to him. You don't have to achieve anything, be the successful son or daughter that your parents hoped and wished that you would be or compared to that other student who got into TJ Harvard and is now making millions. No, 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 none of that stuff, you see. God is saying this. He has one prerequisite. He says, you want to come to me? Who do you come in the name of? And there you should stand before him and say, I come in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who took away my sins. And before you, Father, I stand righteous now, no longer sinner, but a saint, not an enemy, but a friend. To know God starts with Jesus. And when you know Jesus is when you begin to know God. Let's pray. Not wanting to add any more than I need to, I'm sure the Lord is speaking to you in a very specific way right now. Maybe, the, maybe God is challenging you to serve when you for so long felt you just didn't want to or felt no need to. Maybe the Lord is asking you to just come to him. Maybe it's been for a long time that you've strayed from him.
Maybe the, the parable of the prodigal son would be an accurate depiction of your life right now. Or maybe even the, uh, the older brother who thought he did everything right and thought if I just achieve and become the best son possible, then my, then my father will love me. Maybe, maybe that legalistic approach is also how you've been living too. Whatever it may be, before the order of worship, before anything like that, the only way for us to get to God is through his son. Do you have his son? And if you do have his son, Jesus, and if he is, in fact, your Lord and Savior, how is your relationship with him? Is it strong? Is it constant? Is it loving? Can we take a few minutes just to pray and seek the Lord with where we're at with him, okay? I want to encourage you to do this and to do so um, genuinely. We have plenty of time. We're finishing early, actually, so don't worry about what's going to happen afterwards. Don't worry about that Memorial Day uh, picnic preparation, all that stuff. Don't worry about where you got to go afterwards. Right now, this is the most important time of your life. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. You do not know what the next hour will bring. How are you with the one who holds your life in his hands, your eternity in his hands? How are you with him? Can you go to God today if you were to die and say, I have Jesus? Or would you go to God and say, I have my accomplishments, my degrees, my looks, my personality, and God will say none of that is acceptable. None of that is good enough. Let's pray, okay?